So the next question is this, who is Adam and what did he do? And what did that do to our image bearing quality or state? Well, Adam was uh, the first human being that uh, God created. And Adam was, once again, he was designed and created to have a relationship with God. But when Adam sinned, when he disobeyed, he marred that image-bearing relationship, if you would, before God the Father. He marred that. And because he did that, that is now carried over into every person that is going to come after him. So we are still created in the image of God, but now we have, uh, if, if you would, we, we have this marred relationship between us and God, and something needs to take place in order to bridge that gap. What is happening? Seriously, do you guys ever like stop and say, uh, why do we do stuff like that? I well, asked, why do you, why do, you do, do stuff, stuff like that? that? <laughs> I'm pointing out the ridiculous in life. Pada pada pum pum. What is Never that? Never heard of that. The drummer boy? Yeah. Thank you. Mark. No, it sounded like a like Come a on. a lawnmower being started. Oscar, you've never heard that. I've heard the drummer boy. Na 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 para para pam pam because I don't know the lyrics. South of the border is that, version. Is that what it sounds like in <laughs> Lebanon? Barara bum bum. Is that what it sounds in Lebanon? Um, you guys ever hum like uh, at points where you don't know the lyrics? You know who can actually oh, whistle time. pretty well is Ray. Prove it. Mm. Ray whistle. <laughs> I saw a quick twinge of pride when you said that. It's, yeah, I, I couldn't, like, I couldn't oh, whistle probably because I would get proud because I am good. Can you whistle loudly? Yes. You consider yourself to be a good whistler. Uh, ruin this, ruin How many the, whistles have you whistled? Ruin the sounds. It's because I can't sing. When I sing, people weep. So I, I, whistle, I, I whistle in church. I do. And I remember a lady turned around and said, that's really nice whistling. whistling, and I stopped. I couldn't carry on. Did you see her take the hearing aid? <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was her hearing aid, you know, when they malfunctioned. High pitch. When, when Kelly and I did our premarital counseling, there was a point where they gave us this sheet of paper that was like rate, like aspects of your relationship and your wife. It was like cleanliness, one through five, you know, hospitality, one through five. And one of them was voice. And so I gave Kelly a one. <laughs> and and we like sit down with our premarital counselor. Is it one good or bad? Bad, 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 oh, okay. bad. And so we sit down with the premarital counselor and he's like, you you don't like the sound of your wife's voice? And I was like, <laughs> I meant when she's singing. <laughs> like when she's singing. Uh, she, she also gave me a one, by the way, because we both thought it was about when you're singing, not just like when you're communicating yeah. with each other. Isn't it funny though how you can endure your own voice, but others can't? I can't. Does Kelly know she sings badly? We both have terrible voices. <laughs> terrible. You know, Laura can yeah. sing really, really well. She, I tell her to get some voice lessons, I mean, to take it up another level, but I really enjoy listening to her sing. And really? same with Sue, my wife, just absolutely beautiful. Really? Wow. Yeah. She just won't sing much. I enjoy listening to myself sing. We know. Um, yeah. Uh, but what's up with those like songs? You guys remember that one? Um, I was sitting. You're right. What's up with noise like that in songs? It's frustrating me. What's frustrating? Those noises in songs. You're talking about. You're just talking about like catching melodies. Yeah. What's that Christian song you used to sing before we pray? 
I did. We got to pray just to make it today. I said, pray. Yeah, stuff like that. Okay, uh, friends. Can't get any worse. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by God in the Bible series. Let me guess, oh, yes. that one's by Ray as well. Oh, yeah. Ray, Ray you did like you read those ones? ones? Yeah, um, Hitler, got, Hitler got in the Bible, Beatles got in the Bible, and uh, Einstein got in the Bible. Let me tell you a little anecdote about the Beatles got in the Bible. I tried to get a, this is many years ago, I tried to get a picture of John Lennon standing with New York behind him. It was $600 just to use it in black and white. Mm. And I thought, that's a lot of money just for one picture. Probably mm. royalties on top of it each time the book sells sort of thing. So yeah. I remember the Beatles visited New Zealand in 1964. So I contacted the New Zealand National Library and I said, you need pictures of the Beatles? And they said, yeah. But they're $20 each. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been halved because of the exchange yeah, rate. Yeah, because of the exchange rate. Oh, 10 just, bucks a piece. Yeah, so I'll take them. <laughs> and uh, I, I was absolutely thrilled. They said it to you like, eh, $20 It was like yeah. that, $20 You know, I told Ray the other day, I said, hey, Tanny's been wanting to, my son's been wanting to read those books. So Ray went and got a few of those books. And then guess what he put in between those books? In and out gift cards. It's ah, <laughs> one of the always. signs that follow them that believe. Yeah, he was always. so excited. Ray, can oh, I have great. a few books today? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll take a handful of books. <laughs> <laughs> so, friends, make sure to check out the God and the Bible series. Without the cards. Yeah, Hitler. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're no. obligated now. No in and out card guarantee. Yeah, Hitler, God in the Bible. I'm saying God in the Bible. Beatles, God in the Bible at livingwiners.com. Ooh, you cannot sing, Oscar. I'm telling you. <laughs> he does better than No, that's actually pretty good. You could hit a high pitch. I like Thank that. you. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and don't forget the Living Waters mug. They have a study Bible at livingwaters.com. Uh, and friends, here's a comment. Oh, boy. All Things New, 87. Life-changing. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now and love all of the subjects covered, but the episode on biblical illiteracy really impacted me. I've been a Christian for over a decade and didn't even realize I have been reading God's word in a self-centered way. I was Mm. so convicted, but encouraged at the same time, being taught the proper way to approach time in the word. Thank you so much. For this. Praise the Lord. Wait a minute. What just happened? Yeah. Selfless. Anybody else notice something? Yeah. Selflessness. Yeah, I noticed. No, that. I just ran out of any that mentioned me. <laughs> <laughs> desperate times call for desperate measures. That's a very encouraging comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. Yeah. Very, very encouraging. Praise uh, the Lord, too. That's our heart's praise desire. All right, friends, we're continuing with. Clear your throat. <laughs> Clear your throat. <laughs> what is the gospel series? We hope you enjoyed the last one which was Who is God? Today, we are dealing with the fall. Of Ray Comfort? <laughs> Oscar <laughs> and Mark. All the time. <laughs> the fall of Ray, Oscar, and Mark. No, friends, this is the fall. Do you know 20,000 people die? <laughs> 20,000 people die every year in the U.S. falling downstairs. Yeah? I'm not kidding. Men or women? No, both. How many of them trip over your foot accidentally? No, no, nothing to do with me. <laughs> Somehow, but Ray always has something to do with Always be careful going downstairs. Yeah. Ray's sitting in my recliner chair in my office, and he's accidentally pushing the button and making the foot re- <laughs> come on up. He's all, whoa, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Instead of, and then instead of going in reverse and having to go back down, he just kind of climbs out of it and breaks the whole chair yeah. and then leaves my room. Behold, the Lord's anointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, friends. Without any further ado, here is, wait, where are we? <laughs> I lost it. The Fall. Have you guys ever had the Jenga towers ah! that fall? Yes, I love ah, it. It's the worst. The Fall of Man. 
Welcome back. We're here to talk about what is the gospel. This is part two in our series, The Fall of Man. The first two chapters of Genesis are incredible. It it gives an amazing picture of the greatest story ever told, the Garden of Eden. In it, we find out who God is, what he created, and why. We see that everything that has been created came out of his mouth like a rushing river. And yet he stops, he comes down, and he whispers Adam into creation, making him his prized possession. Uh, it is a beautiful story. And in chapter three, we have an awful transition. And that is now the serpent. It's sort of the beginning of the rest of the story in scripture. Now the serpent, now the fall, now sin, now deceit, now suffering, uh, now the rest of the story. It is an awful transition. Thankfully, it is not the final transition, but there it is, the fall of man, which is what we're talking about today. I am here with uh, Easy Zwayne, Ray Comfort, and Mark Spence. Thank you guys for joining us. We're back. Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> so the first question, it's very important. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Let's start there. First, I'd like to start by just saying, after what you said so eloquently, that when you become a Christian, God opens the eyes of your understanding. The scriptures come alive. They become truth. And I find myself reading the scriptures every time I go through Genesis and read of the fall. Inside, I'm crying out, no, no, <laughs> no, this can't be. It's so real. Mm. And uh, and uh, you're so right. We We went from... Uh, absolute bliss and uh, wonderment to horror and death and pain and suffering. So it's a very relevant thing we're looking at today. Yeah, I can't think of a greater contrast. You know, uh, that whole scene in Genesis has often been labeled as paradise lost. Hmm. And we've all seen uh, our fair share of Christian movies and different uh, scriptural passages reenacted. But this is one I've never seen done well. Uh, if I've seen it, mm. I'm just trying to think through. I've probably seen it here and there, but real low budget, cheesy. But I would love to see a blockbuster on this. Uh, but I think that it probably isn't too tantalizing to Hollywood, right? Because they think, in a sense, we're still in paradise. But this, like you said, Oscar, sets the stage for the rest of Scripture. The fall that ultimately leads to the culmination of redemption. And it's hugely important. I'm glad we're dealing with it. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think an important aspect of it is those first two chapters. You, you, we don't start out as sinners. We start out as image bearers, which comes in later because we're not just made new. We're made new in a, in a way in which we are reconciled back to what we were intended to be. Right. And so what, what, what are we intended to be? What does it mean that we are created in God's image? Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. 
Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Well, you see, you've got three humble guys sitting there. <laughs> Who is going to go first? Who's going to be preeminent? We're looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. So and I'm like, easy, let me rescue these guys. Easy, what <laughs> you go first? The humble, most humble first. Yes, the most humble. I wrote a book on that, by the way. Have mm-hmm. I ever told you yeah, that? Yeah, you sent me photos. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, humble and proud of it. That's the title. Ooh, nice. I'll get perfect. you a free copy. Yeah, well, man made in the image of God. First of all, what an amazing concept, right? I mean, I think that we can be arrogant about that as people when we don't think of who we are, again, in contrast to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, man thinks he's great when he looks in the mirror, but when he looks up, he sees how puny he is. Uh, when he looks inward, he sees how filthy and wicked he is in comparison to a holy, righteous God. But God made us in his image. And basically, that would mean that we bear, as people, certain characteristics that God bears. Uh, characteristics uh, like uh, being sentient. In other words, being self-aware. I'm aware of the I, the me. I know that I exist. Animals aren't sentient. They don't think in that way. Uh, We're relational. God is triune. We know that within the Trinity, there is a relationship that takes place. Uh, uh, We're volitional. We're able to make choices and decisions. We're intellectual. We're able to use our minds. We're creative like God is. Uh, Not, of course, in the ex nihilo sense and creating from what doesn't exist, but reshaping what God has made, whether it's through art or through other works of our hands. Uh, and we're moral, moral agents, or, or we have a moral compass, uh, though it's been marred by the fall. But th- those are some of the things I'm sure Ray and I'm Mark super impressed with those big words. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. My dictionary out what can get, I say? Then get a thesaurus well, and even do better. Book. We'll discuss anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's so relevant that we're made in God's image yeah. because we live in a, a society that's uh, proclaiming that we are beasts yeah. and there are a generation that is absolutely assured we're nothing but apes. And yet, when you look at man, the, the, there are differences, as you mentioned, the moral difference, the, the self-awareness difference. The fact that my dog's, I, I often think my dog has no sense of humor. He doesn't appreciate music. I mean, he wags his tail, he smiles, but something funny happens, he doesn't, you don't see a, a laugh or the sure. tail wag, he's got no sense of humor. Yeah. He's got no appreciation for music or beauty. All it is is cats and food and, and that's kind of, <laughs> and sleep. But, but man is so unique in his self-awareness yeah. and appreciation of God's creation. I look at the beauty of a rose and I'm able to appreciate the, the, the glory of the sky and think of God's greatness and love music. And when I hear music, I heard some music the other day that was just, it brought me to tears. It was so powerful. And yet it was just a love song. It went nowhere. It meant nothing because it wasn't centered on the God that sure. created all things. And so um, we've got this... Uh, awareness of justice, as you were talking about in the moral sense. Yeah. And so that separates man from the beasts, and, and that, that really illustrates how much we're made in the image of God. And the distinction is that God breathed into man's nostril the breath of life. So. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to note that God finished his creation on the last day of creation with a personal touch, and mm-hmm. that he, if you would, formed man from the dust, and he breathed into mankind. And when you consider man and how different man is from animal, now we're going to begin to touch upon that image-bearing essence. And I have three points here, really, and that man is mentally like God, he's morally like God, and he's socially, mentally. We have the ability to reason, 
We have the ability to make choices, good choices, bad choices. We can make these choices. Secondly, morally, man has a moral compass. We'll talk more about that later, but we have this impartial judge that sits in the courtroom of our mind that when we make a decision, that judge will say, wrong, Mm -hmm. correct, wrong, wrong, wrong. And in Easy's case, wrong, 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 right? But we make these decisions. saying how great Mark is, wrong, wrong, wrong. (laughs) And socially, we were created for fellowship. Yeah. We were created to commune with God. And a lot of times people will preach Christ crucified for the sole purpose of getting man out of hell. But in relationship to what the, the reason why God has created man was so that we might have fellowship. We might have a relationship with the one who made sunsets and surfing and seafood, right? This and cereal. And cereal. <laughs> Stay with right? it, So God made a woman precisely because it was not good for man to be alone, that man needed to commune with another human being. We are created by God and for God, and this brings glory to God. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so image-bearing is uh, both sharing attributes with God, and it's a, a part of the nature and why we were created. We were created as, as mirrors, both intending to reflect the glory of God into the world and intending to reflect uh, God's praises to God from the world. We see the world in creation, and we can sing of his praise. And when we're here, uh, we bring about his glory into the world. Yeah. We are image bearers. We are made to be mirrors of who God is. And, you know, let me just say, Oscar, from an evangelistic perspective, I think it's important that we keep in mind that even fallen man is made in the image of God. Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard some try to uh, argue that, but it's it's clear in Scripture. We, we don't have time to get into it, but man is made in the image of God. Even, even fallen man is an image bearer. And sometimes it's hard for us when we see fallen people to... Uh, to want to share Christ with them because of sometimes the overabundance of sin or depravity that we're seeing come from them. First, we need to remember we were once there, but we also need to remember that, that we, are, we, we can love the image of God we see reflected mm-hmm. in them. And uh, on the other hand, that's why abortion is such an atrocious thing, because that, that is the destruction of image bearers right. of God. Yeah. On the other hand, there's four fingers, but... Um, we see every soul of Tarsus as an Apostle Paul. Right. And so when I'm preaching and I hear someone blaspheming, I try in my mind, imagine this guy standing up in a church and saying, I used to blaspheme God's name, mm-hmm. but now I love the Lord with all my heart. And you can have that in your imagination contrast. The yeah. two. Right. I'm really glad you brought that up. It's sort of a part of our next question. And just to add to that, uh, image bearer is where we get the modern day idea of human rights and equality. Why is man and woman and black and white, why is everyone created equally because of that? Because we were all created as image bearers. That's what makes us equal. We're not animals, it's not survival of the fittest. So anytime a non-Christian advocates for uh, human rights or equality, ultimately they're leaning on a gospel truth, which is that we are created as image bearers. Well, that's a great point. So the next question is this, who is Adam and what did he do? And what did that do to our image bearing quality or state? Well, Adam was uh, the first human being that uh, God created. And Adam was, once again, he was designed and created to have a relationship with God. But when Adam 
sin, when he disobeyed, he marred that image-bearing relationship, if you would, before God the Father. He marred that. And because he did that, that is now carried over into every person that is going to come after him. So we are still created in the image of God, but now we have, uh, if, if you would, we, we have this marred relationship mm. between us and God, and something needs to take place in order to bridge that gap. You know, theologically, Adam would be called our federal head. He was our representative, and Romans 5, 12 and on, I think really speaks to that, and I think it's good for us to hear it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Uh, and it goes on from there, but, uh, but we've received the sinful nature through Adam as our representative, as our federal head, and that has, uh, like Mark said, uh, spread and marred, and boy, what a world of havoc yeah. Yeah. from there. Yeah, I know. When rotten things happen to me, I just think there's going to be a huge line waiting up in front of Adam to smack him in the face. <laughs> you, know, we, we, you get a lot of uh, critics and skeptics that uh, will want to point to Adam as the problem, and we forget that we, we have a problem with the man in the mirror. Amen. And having a problem with the man in the mirror, we can stop pointing a finger at Adam and we can begin to take responsibility for our own actions uh, that we commit. It's amazing how many people um, have got that ready for an excuse before God on Judgment Day that it's Adam that sinned and not me. But that doesn't hold water in a court of law. Sure. You can be in a criminal court and say, yeah, I raped that woman, judge, because I inherited a sinful nature. The yeah. judge can say, what are you talking about? Right. You are morally responsible for your actions. And so each of us are, and it's... Uh, it's a truth that we have to get out and there is a way to do it. Well, we commit, we recommit the same sin committed in the, in the garden every single day, which mm -hmm. is proof that we wouldn't have made any different or a better choice than Adam. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I may be jumping ahead here a little bit, but Romans 5.18 then gives us a picture, though, on the flip side that Christ is also our federal head. Uh, and we know in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you know, he's called the, the last Adam. Uh, it says, and so it is written, the first uh, man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians 15, 45. But um, Romans 5, 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I love Amen. that. I love the uh, superfluity within that scripture where it says free gift. Yeah. If something's free, it's a gift, it's a mm -hmm. gift, it's free. Why put them together? It's to substantiate the truth that you cannot earn eternal life. It's free. Yeah. It's a gift. Yeah. What an incredible yeah. truth that we've got to proclaim. We are, we are jumping ahead a little bit. I'm really glad you brought that up, though, because we're going to revisit it on our second to last question. Um, let me, let me uh, turn us back to kind of where we're headed. Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, there we are. We're created as, as image bearers, and it was made right. I love that you used the word marred. Uh, if we are mirrors, then in the fall, the mirror broke. It fell, and now it's yeah. shards of glass on the ground reflecting anything that passes it by, making mm. us idolaters, making us sinners, making us worship the things that are in this world rather than the creator of this world. Uh, so what does it mean to say we are depraved? What, is that, what does that word mean? Well, fallen man is completely infected by sin. And because he's completely infected by the sin, he's only capable 
now of performing sinful acts. He is totally, utterly, and capable of doing any sort of a good deed whatsoever. So let me ask you this then. Are, are you saying it's not possible for non-Christians to do good? I mean, we look in the world and we see, you know, I can see an, an atheist give a homeless guy a, a sandwich on sure. his way to work. So how, how would you respond to that type of question? Yeah, you, well, we have to, you have to also understand that there's a perceived value to actions, right? We have to now define what does it mean to be good? Daniel Webster defined good as being perfect in thought, word, and deed. Well, we have to look at motive, Motive is a huge aspect of why we do what we do. We can look at a celebrity. Ray talks about this all the time. A celebrity gives $20 million to a charitable organization, and we are ready to crown them as king, right? But who gets to define what good is? I'm going to say that man's good deeds are as filthy rags. I'm only reiterating and echoing what Scripture has to say. Whatever is not of faith is sin, sin, right? So whatever is not of faith is sin. So we have non-Christians all the time will attempt to do good deeds, but if they don't do it in faith, it is sin. So that thing that may look like it's a good deed, helping an old lady across the street, feeding the homeless, helping the hopeless and the helpless, it seems to be good. But however, Christians alone can do good. We in, uh, was it Ephesians chapter two? It says that we were created for good works. Well, who created these good works? God did. When? Before he created time. We are his workmanship. We are his poema, his poem. So as the expression of God's heart, the symphony of his praise, the trophy of his grace, this image, this mirrored image of him, we alone can do good. And that's only because it's Christ in us, through us, which is the hope of glory. So we were created for good works by God, for God. And I think that, that that's often mistaken. And I go to college campuses and, and they say, are you saying that uh, atheists are not capable of doing good? And I always try to bring a distinction. You can do many things that seem to be good. You cannot account for those good deeds. You cannot say that these are good deeds because you have no foundation. But more importantly, who gets to decide what good is? Mm-hmm. And if you don't do these good deeds in faith, it is sin. It is accounted on that day when you stand before God on the day of judgment to a negative account, not a positive account. So it's not a matter of you're good outweighing your bad or your bad outweighing your good. You are a simple human being, and if God gives you your just dessert, you will end up in hell. Right. I don't know if there's any... Uh, sorry, Izzy, do you want to go first? I'm more humble than you go first. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. You want to go again? You just want to be last so you can be first, right? I see the motive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But speaking of motive, uh, you know, I, I would say that as Mark eloquently put it, yeah, there, there is there is a possibility for people to do moral things from an objective standpoint. So in other words, you can have a Cornelius in Scripture whose deeds were recognized by God. I mean, he was doing good things in a sense, but Cornelius still needed redemption. Why? Because at the core of his being, he was a fallen sinful man. So yes, there are things that could be done that could be defined as good, but it's all tied to motive, right? So when man does things that have an appearance of morality, because he's depraved, because he's fallen, that motive negates that as being genuinely good in the sight of a holy God. And so... Uh, all that man in his fallen state does is tainted. Mm. 
Um, but we know, obviously, when it comes to judgment, there are going to be varying degrees of judgment uh, based on the depth of wickedness that men, you know, committed. But I just want to say, Oscar, real quick, that as far as depravity goes, we see it kicking into high gear already by the time, you know, you started with the first few chapters of Genesis. By the time we reach Genesis chapter 6, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. (laughs) I mean, like, talk about piling it on. Yeah. You know, and... And that's this, that's what we see throughout Scripture. Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? Romans three uh, ten three eleven: as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Um, you know, Romans three twelve it goes on: all have turned aside together; they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Yeah. So, in the ultimate sense. That's what we see, and, and, and these are the glimpses into the depravity of man. Yeah, hence we see man living along the fault line of God's judgment yeah. and not even realizing it. No, if there's any time you want to clash with the world, it's over depravity. They'll, they'll argue yeah. tooth and nail that man is good and not depraved. But there's a, there's a famous book, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, called Lord of the Flies. Not Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Flies. Oh, it's it's a movie. It. It's a movie, and it's about these kids that were left to themselves, and it, and, and it illustrates the depravity of man without God. Mm-hmm. And if we want to, for a moment, imagine how evil man is, you, you look at the evils that are going on in the world, the rapes and the murder and the torture and just debauchery and just wickedness, mm-hmm. that's with the uh, presence of the law. Could you imagine if civil law and criminal law was removed from America today or any country today and it was proclaimed, we will not punish rapists, will not punish murderers. You couldn't get to work on the freeway. Right. People mm-hmm. had put guns on the front of their cars to anyone to cut them up. <laughs> and, and, and so we see the law being as like almost salt and light within the world, holding back man's evil. But we would see the depravity of man if that law was removed completely. Wow. Yeah, um, boy, you know, Lord of the Flies reminds me of most youth, most youth groups today. <laughs> I mean, it's insanity. You know, whenever, <laughs> even these little. Great. I was just about to name our new youth group the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just insane. But, you know, you don't have to look very far to see the sinful nature uh, manifested in, in kids. You yeah. know, it, it's yeah. there. And it's, I mean, as a, as a kid, I don't know, now I know why, but then I didn't know what compelled me to want to do the things I did. You guys know I was an insane little boy, you know? You haven't and, changed that much. <laughs> <much. laughs> but what was it in me? You know, it was just that yeah. sinful nature rearing its ugly head. And uh, you don't have to teach kids to, to do wickedly. You got to teach them to, to do righteous things. And, I think the depravity of man is most clearly seen in the issue of abortion. What a heartbreaking mm. and evil thing to kill your own offspring. I was watching a lady from Planned Parenthood the other day being interviewed by uh, somebody uh, on television. And as she talked about abortion, she was smiling sweetly. And I thought, how evil mm. is that to be able to put on a nice and sincere looking smile when you talk about such a wicked thing? Yeah, yeah I, I remember I, I watched that same interview and I was, I was taken back. And I remember the interviewer trying to extract from her her personal belief. What is your opinion? Is this a human being? And she just kept going back and forth, back and forth, dancing around the subject, uh, demonstrating uh, the deceitfulness of sin. You know, Spurgeon said, the treatment of our Lord Jesus Christ by men is the clearest proof of total depravity. 
Those must be stony hearts indeed, which can laugh at a dying Savior and mock even his faith in God. Mm. What did Jesus do wrong? Oh, he, he, he fed those who were hungry. He helped those who couldn't help themselves. And they laughed when he died. Right. Mm. The, mm. the apex of total depravity. Yeah. You know, you stole my thunder. I had Spurgeon waiting to, to jump in. He I being, have a dollar for whoever quotes Spurgeon first. <laughs> he being dead yet speaks. His volume is, is, is so loud throughout the world nowadays. He'd be amazed, I'm sure, at what's happened. He said, the fact is that man is re- a reeking mass of corruption. His whole soul is by nature so debased and so depraved that no description... Uh, which can be given of him, even by inspired tongue, can fully tell how base and vile a thing he is. Mm. Boy, that's a little different from the um, mm. the description the world gives of, yeah. of yeah. human beings. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this then, because uh, we're sort of dancing around this, and I think we've hit it, but let's just hit it on the head. What is sin, and, and what is a sinner? In other words, is sin just the actions that we do, or is it a part of the nature about who we are here in our fallen state? Well, First John 3, 4 says, sin is transgression of the law. And I was just thinking recently, I, I touched on it a little bit in, in the Hell's Best Kept Secret teaching uh, on how the early morning sunlight shows dust on a table. And I was meditating on how the fact that it's early morning light, low light that shows the dust. It's not noon light, it's low light. And when we bring the law low to human beings and Mm. apply it to the conscience, that's when they can see themselves in truth, that they're transgressors of the moral law. Yeah. Boy, I think also in connection to our depravity and as it relates to sin, Paul put it well in Ephesians 2, 1, you know, and, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Um, it, it's, it's that state of utter deadness that, mm. that uh, touches on the totality of our being. Yeah. And so that being our nature, sin therefore flows from it. It's a byproduct of, of our, our fallenness. Yes. And so um, Ray nailed it. God has given us his moral standard for what purpose? To highlight our sin, right? Uh, the, the, the law doesn't, it, the law is, as Ray often says, it's a mirror that reflects to us our true state. So um, that's, that's uh, the, the, the highlight point of, of what the law does. It demonstrates to us that we are sinners, violators of the law of God, and in essence, violators of the nature of God which transfers to the fact that as we sin, we're violating who God is. Uh, and us being image bearers reflects that as well. Just digressing very slightly, sorry, Mark, is that um, we're able to talk about the depravity of man with such confidence and not a glee, but something in us realizes that our depravity magnifies the grace and mercy of God. Hmm. Now, we can say, depraved, my heart's depraved, I'm wicked, and yet God showed mercy to me through the cross. And the more I see my sin, the more I see his mercy and his love, and it magnifies it, how great and kind and wonderful God is to forgive a wretch such as me. And that translates into gratitude, which is a fuel to motivate us to live for his will and honor. So uh, a non-Christian listening to us talking about the pride of your man would say, what's wrong with these guys? Don't they see the goodness of man? No, no, we see ourselves in truth, and in so, in so doing, we see the grace of God in truth. You know, we have to see our sin is as deeply ingrained in us as our eye color. Yep. 
you know, and we look through these eyes, if you would, to take pleasure in what God has created, but we are in desperate need of God's help. And we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. A dog's not a dog because he barks. He barks because he is a dog. Uh, Joe MacArthur said, man does not become spiritually dead because he sins. He is spiritually dead because by nature he is sinful. And I, I like, I, I didn't, I didn't come up with this. I, I found it a while ago, but, um, you know, we cannot grasp how amazing God's grace is in salvation until we first grasp how sinful, you know, we truly are. Man is so blind that only God can give him sight. He's so helpless that only God can change him. He's so sinful that only God can forgive him. He's so lost that only God can find him. And he's so dead that only God can make him alive. And then it finishes off with, in short, without Jesus, man is sinful, lost, helpless, hopeless, doomed, and damned. And the moment you begin to realize that this is the true state of every human being, we can be patient with people because, but by the grace of God, there go us. Mm. And we can begin to extend that hand of mercy the way it was extended to us. We can be patient with the person who cuts us off, right? It was yesterday on the way to work or two days ago, Monday, I was on my way to work. Is this and the, easy cut you off? And there was a guy that, that cut me off. He would not let me in, uh, into this road. And I was just, what in the world is wrong with this guy? And then this guy takes off. He takes off, and all of a sudden, this rock shoots out from underneath this car, and it hits my windshield, and it cracks my windshield. And I begin to laugh. I begin to laugh. Now, so many times people would look at that situation and go, what a bummer. Now you have to spend, you know, a couple hundred dollars to fix your window. And I guess that is a bummer on that area, but what if, if God can make the rocks cry out, well, then he can also gear those rocks to head the direction he wants them to head. I looked at it and I said, God, if you want to spend your money like this, you have every right to do so. There's a paradigm shift now that we see because we have been born again, created anew in Christ Jesus that we can now look at every situation that seems almost detestable and accept them from God as almost a blessing from him. The yeah, world can't do that. And it's interesting, too, how the Christian can have a certain perspective, even on something as despicable as a sinful nature, that could cause it to work for the good for him. You know, I often say, when I, when I want God to give me more of him and less of me, I ask him to show me more of me, which makes me want less of me and more of him, <laughs> right? Because that's the truth. God, give me more of you. Okay. Eyes open my heart and looking. Ah, I want nothing to do with me, yeah. Lord. I want you, you know. And so that's God's grace. It's His mercy, and that He'll do it even with the sinful nature. There's a there's a delusion when it comes to sin. We can't see ourselves in truth, and this is a somewhat wanting illustration. But sin is kind of like bad breath or body odor. <laughs> you you can't really detect it on yourself. You can put up with it on yourself, and it takes the objectivity of a wife saying, "Don't go out in public and breathe on people, yeah. sweetheart. You can kill a tree at thirty paces." <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and that's what the law does. It gives an objective view of what we're like in truth. And that's why we need the law uh, to sinners to, sh- to take away the delusion and, and show them that they have sinned against God. Hey, that's biblical. Wasn't it Job that said, my breath is offensive to my wife? He, absolutely, <laughs> yes. What an honest man. Uh, yeah, so man, th- these are great things. You know, I, I, wanna, I wanna throw this out. Um, <laughs> I'll be the questioner now. Uh, how, how would you guys say this is different uh, than what our culture teaches us, because culture is informing us on so many different levels. I've heard it said, you know, uh, fill your mind with God's truth in the morning because you're going to be lied to throughout the day. Love that. So what do you guys think about about that? 
Well, it's in complete antithesis to what the culture says we are as people. Uh, what we have in culture is what sociologists are calling expressive individualism. Uh, expressive individualism tells us that identity comes through self-expression, through self-discovering of one's most authentic desires, and being free of one's, uh, free to express oneself. So in other words, it tells us that we need to strip away everything society, family, the church, God, our creator says about us so that we can search our hearts and find ourselves. Uh, it's a gospel. It's a false gospel. It's the follow your heart, believe in yourself, chase your dreams gospel. And it's the catechism to our culture. You are the creator of your own identity. You are free and even obligated to be whoever or whatever makes you feel good, no matter what anyone says. This gospel is a false gospel and it's everywhere. It's in books, in movies, in TV shows, in the news, and in politics. It's not just Deepak Chopra. It's not just Tony Robbins. It's not just Oprah Winfrey. It's Lady Gaga's Born This Way. It's Frozen, Let It Go. It's the new Moana movie. It's the Trolls movie. And with any false gospel, there's elements of truth that are there. For example, uh, expressive individualism, what the world tells us about ourselves, says that we are valuable uh, because God created us. And that's, that's true. Uh, the problem is that it also tells us that in order to strip away from sin, we need to look inside of our own hearts. Yet scripture tells us our hearts are desperately wicked. Right, so it's it is an antithesis to the culture. I think it's very relevant to to see that the Psalms, the very treasury of David, opens up with "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly." God just doesn't say not to do it. He says you are blessed if you don't listen to the counsel of the world, because, in, like you said, in every area it's off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of the world's cliches often, and I I, I just kind of shake my head. In fact, one time I uh, did a uh, graduation ceremony at a church for a Christian group. And, and I, I said, I want to give you this advice. And I started off with all of the, the big worldly cliches. As I did that, I'm looking around and parents are like, oh, they're looking at each other, starting to panic. And then I said, now let me finish each one of those, you know, and, and you know, follow your heart if you want to be led astray, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and just, you know, from there, there was a whole list of them. But it's just, you just, Go opposite on every worldly cliche, yeah. and you can't go wrong, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, so it's always it's always like that. That's so true. Yeah, and it is. It's good news that we don't have to define ourselves because our Creator can give us a definition far greater greater than anything we can give ourselves. Mm -hmm. yes. And that's the good news that we get to preach to the expresses expressive individualism culture that's out there. Yeah, and you know, you know I, I know, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Never mind. <laughs> On that note, I just want to say, my heart weeps for the world. Uh, we take for granted that we have the wisdom of God's word. You know, when, when Jesus and Mark looked out at the multitude, it says he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered and sheep, like sheep having no shepherd. And I often talk about how we, we take for granted what it means to have Jesus as the shepherd of our life. The world is shepherdless. Mm -hmm. They're lost. They're yeah. blind. That's where we were. But they don't have. What's a shepherd do? He guides. He provides. He protects. Mm. The world is outside that. Yeah. And we have that in Christ. And most importantly, the provision of his word. You know, as husbands, as fathers, as employees, as citizens, God's word informs us on every level. The world doesn't have that. So what do they have to do? They have to make it up. And the way 
of their wisdom is folly and destruction. Amen. You know, though it's true that there's none who seek after God, the good news is that God seeks after man. We hear inside the world, we're talking about these cliches that God helps those who help themselves, (laughs) right? But truth be told, we cannot help ourselves. We are beyond resuscitation. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Lazarus. We we are three-day deadeth. Lazarus stinketh. It is as if uh, Adam and Eve looked into the world, looked at the apple, uh, and ate it to find their identity. And now we look inside ourselves mm. to find our identity. But the truth is, our identity is found in God and in our Creator. That's if it was an apple. I think it could be a banana. Or an avocado, tomato. <laughs> you know, God can—it's a, it's a, it's a God equation, isn't it? Man cannot help themselves. It is a God job. God has to do the work from beginning to end, because if there's anything we could do, we would be patting ourselves on the back and boast before God. Mm. Well, let me ask this then, uh, and this is the last question for us, and, and easy. you, you uh, started talking about it earlier. Uh, what happens to us when we are saved? How does that, how does that change things? Hmm. Oh, boy, these are the climax verses of Scripture. You know, I, I quoted Ephesians 2 earlier um, in terms of being dead, you know. But, but in you, he made alive. Uh, you know, you think of 1 Corinthians 6 when it lists all those different sins uh, that, that, you know, were part of life. And such were some of you, yeah. you, you know, you were cleansed, redeemed. I mean, it just goes on. It's like, oh, the fact that we are new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all yeah. things have become new. Um, I mean, we could preach for hours on the sweetness of regeneration yeah. and conversion. You know, it's to think that we are in love with a God we've never seen. We're in love with a voice we've never heard. We're in love with the invisible God of spirit, if you would. We now love the things we once hated. We hate the things we once loved. And the only thing that can properly explain what is going on is that we are new creatures. A new creation has taken place. You know, there's been so much where I go, what is happening to me? And then you open up the Word of God and you go, oh, that's what's happening. I'm already doing that. I'm, I'm desiring these things. You consider the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, right. the fruit of the Spirit, singular, and then it begins to lay out a whole list of items of joy, peace, patience. All of these things is fruit. It's singular. You will have self-control. It's not where somebody comes along and says, I have all of these fruits except self-control. I just can't help myself, and I give my members over to doing these tasks. No, as a Christian, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural. It comes from the overflow of the outflow of the heart, as Luke 6 says. Amen. Mm. Yeah, and I just want to say this. Uh, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is First Peter uh, 1, uh, oh, 8. Yes. It says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I was reminded of that, as Mark said, you know, we've never seen him, we've never heard his voice. And I've often thought, how is it? Because when I read this as a new believer, I thought, Lord, this is like so relatable. I, I, I've never seen him, I've never heard your voice, but I love you. And I'm just, yeah. oh, I want to explode with joy. And I was reminded of an earthly example of someone that we're all familiar with in here who's radically impacted the world, uh, Helen Keller. From the age of two, she was deaf, blind, and mute, pretty much almost, you know, before she could have any memory. And her parents 
paid huge sums of money to bring in people to rehabilitate her, but one after the other, they'd walk in the front door, walk out the back, no one could help her. She was wild, crazy, totally incorrigible. Until one day, someone walked into her life that was willing to persist and persevere with her in untainted love, and that was Anne Sullivan. And one day she opened up the world of communication to her and it just radically revolutionized her life. And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? Helen Keller never once saw the face of Ann Sullivan. She never once heard her voice. Wow. But you could be assured that there was no one on the face of the earth that she loved more than Ann Sullivan, who was by her, you know, her whole life. And uh, I thought, wow, Lord. She only experienced her primarily through one sense, right? The sense of touch. And to make the correlation, we've, we've experienced the salvation touch of God, and that's why we love Him and we rejoice. We've never seen His voice, never heard, never heard His uh, voice, never seen His face, but we rejoice and we love Him. Boy, Patty, do, did you see the movie where she was Helen Keller? It's I think just, I did. It's just oh, I saw the trailer. Yeah, it's absolutely just amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, you might have noticed I was a little quiet with this question. It's because I really have uh, that inexpressible joy I can't mm. express how grateful I am to God. And I've often said, oh, I can't put into words, I, I put into works. Amen. Mm. And we often talk, talk about how so pathetic it is. It's great to be saved. Yeah. Like, what words, what adjectives, oh, you know, to be redeemed and transformed. Yeah. And, amen. Yeah, well, amen. Thank you guys so much. It's as if to, to kind of bring it full circle, if we are made as mirrors intending to reflect the glory of God into the world and to reflect his praise back to himself, uh, and if in the fall we have fallen and our mirrors are broken and we are left as shards of glass, then what happens when we are saved is that we are put back together. We are made right to once again glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We opened today with the horrible, awful transition in Genesis 3, now the serpent. But as we know, that's not the last transition. There's a better transition. Uh, And one example is in uh, Ephesians 2. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So that's the good news of the gospel in relation to our depravity. Uh, any closing words? You know, the last Adam's coming, you know. Amen. So we, we talk about the first Adam here, and the last Adam is about ready to come onto the scene, and I'm excited to discuss. Amen. And I would say this for those that are listening to us today. Second uh, Peter 1 gives a whole list of godly virtues that should mark us as believers. And then it says, he who lacks his sin things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten his purification from his old sins. So if we can look in our lives and see that we're lacking the virtues uh, that Second Peter 1 talks about, it's because we've lost sight of our redemption, which means we've lost sight of our Redeemer. And it's when we're focused on our Redeemer and our redemption, like it says in Ephesians, that you may know what is a width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we're talking theology here, and there's a lot of theoretical things we've touched on, but this has to translate into life, right? Orthodoxy must become orthopraxy. We must now live out that truth, and we must touch the world and reach the lost for the glory of God. Amen, Ray Comfort? Yes, amen. Yeah, we got to reach the lost days. Hey, don't forget that. <laughs> you know, there's Philadelphia. They've got 50,000 tons of salt in a big pile mm. because of the, the ice. They've got to de-ice the, the road. And how think, I think that's a, a, um, 
a property of salt that's often forgotten, that we're the salt of the earth and we can de-ice a cold church when it comes to the lost. And we need to spread this message out. And we can also preserve like salt does for meat. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. We have been discussing uh, what is the gospel. This is part two, the fall of man. We thank you so much for your partnership. We hope that this uh, study has been a blessing to you guys. and, And may you go out and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Man, you guys fell hard in that one. (laughs) There you have it, friends. The fall of man. We hope there was some edification and sanity in there. We can't even remember what's in there. It's been a while. But we hope you're encouraged, friends. Don't forget God and the Bible series, uh, Hitler, Einstein, and the Beatles, the Living Waters Mug, and the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Make sure to email us at podcast.livingwaters.com. Podcast living at dollars? Podcast at living dollars. Podcast at com. Freudian slip. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe and to share and to leave us comments. We read them, as you can tell. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. No, no. Podcast. <laughs> the ultimate, it wasn't any better. I know. The ultimate cure for insomnia. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.